Well, good morning, Timberline Church. Good morning. Hey, all right, you guys are really awake. Giving it back. All right, here we go. Anyway, glad to be here with you guys. I'm Josh. I'm the pastor at Ascent Project, which is our downtown campus meets at Everyday Joe's. So it's a blessing for me a few times a year when I get to come over here and be with you all here on Timberline Road. Uh, just really looking forward to all that God is, is going to do this morning. And as we begin, just want to encourage you with something. I know that going to church can become routine. Uh, maybe this is something you do quite often. Maybe it's new for you. Uh, but one thing that is incredible about God is that he has promised that he is with us, that he's personal, and that he wants to be in our midst. When we gather to worship when we gather to open up scripture, God wants to meet with us. That's the desire of his heart, that the scriptures are living and active. And when we work out applying that into our lives, it can change us. It can make us more like him. And so this is what I want to do right away is begin with a prayer. But have this be a prayer of anticipation and expectation. And I would just encourage each of you to come with that mindset here this morning that God actually wants to do something in my heart, in my mind. God wants to do something in me as I'm here today because he is with us. So let's pray for that. Jesus, we welcome you here. We thank you that you are alive. We thank you that because you're alive, you're with us. You say you'll never leave us or forsake us. Lord, your word is for us today. Help us to be able to see clearly what you want to teach us, to be able to see how we can apply it to our lives, what it can look like to be more like you, to be changed into the image of your son. So we invite you here in everything we do. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, I love getting to talk about my family and my kids whenever I get the chance. I have four little ones, two girls and two boys. And for the most part with my job, I get to be in town. And so I'm with them quite often and getting to see them grow up. But every now and then we'll go on a trip. And just the summer was gone for a few days. And, you know, when that happens, it's, all right, I miss them. You know, it's fun. They, they have their mom's phone, my wife. And so they'll steal that at any point and call me and FaceTime me and all that stuff. And so it's amazing. So I can stay in touch with them. And I love doing that. I always tell them when I leave, hey, you can call me whenever, right? And so, but there's nothing that compares, right, to that moment of coming home and when my four kids, well, one of them's nine months, so he didn't really run yet. The other three, when they come running over and give daddy a big hug and I get to see them and hold them and hug them, I mean, that's awesome, right? I'm, I'm thankful I have a phone, can text them, I can FaceTime them, I can see them, right? But that's, you're still separated a little bit. It's just, it's part of it. There's nothing that can compare to being in proximity with them, and you probably have, you know, maybe it's a, a close friend of yours that you don't live by, or a, a child, or a parent, or a grandchild, grandparent, somebody that you love that you stay in touch with, but you don't get to see them all the time, right? Like we're thankful for those ways of communication, but but it's still just a partial view. It's not quite the same as being in person. And also, I think about it whenever I go on on trips. A, a few years back, I got to go on a mission trip to Berlin, Germany. And spent some time there. We were ministering at a church and doing some prayer walking in Berlin. And we came across this train station. And close to the train station was a part of the Berlin Wall. So obviously it's been torn down. It's no longer there in the way that it used to be in the 1960s. And for years after that where it was separating East and West Berlin. But they still have sections in the city. Now it's a little different. It's really highly graffitied and people chew gum and then stick it to it. So it's just gum everywhere. That was the section of the Berlin Wall that I saw. Um, but, you know, being there, it just makes history come alive in a new way. You know, it's something I've heard about in history class. It's something that maybe you've read about or seen movies about or news stories about. But when you're actually there, right, those other images are just kind of a partial view. But when you're there, it makes it come alive 
in a real way. Last thing I want to just ask, anybody in here like spicy food? People like to eat spicy food? All right, we got some hands going up. All right. So I'm the person that I, uh, I used to not eat any spicy food. I used to think I couldn't do it. And then, you know, I don't know how it is. You eat enough hot wings, maybe messes with your tongue enough. You can eat a little bit hotter. So that happened. It got a little bit better. So I, but I'm still like a, you know, medium to hot type level. That's what I'm going to shoot for. Uh, but I was at this restaurant just a little bit ago with a group of buddies. And one of my friends, I did not know what I was getting myself into. But one of my friends said, hey, I'm going to order us one of these appetizers. I've had this before. It's really fun. Let's do it. It's some peppers. We can just all share it. And normally if, if my buddy's about to buy me some food, I'm, I'm all about it. You're like, go ahead. Like, I'll, I will eat it if you're paying for it. Sure. But then he says, hey, these are shishito peppers. And if you know anything about shishito peppers is the statistics on these things, I've seen a wide range, too wide a range to help. But basically every 1 in 10 to every 1 to 20 of these peppers is crazy hot. All right. And so my friend Charlie, he said, hey, I'm going to get these, but it will be kind of fun because, you know, you'll get, sometimes you get a really hot one in the batch. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's all right. I can do, I can do hot stuff. Plus there's four other guys here. I'm not going to be the one to get the hot one. We'll be fine. Right? And so we, we all take the first, we're all kind of nervous about it. He's hyping it up. It's really hot. And so we all take the first bite and looking around like, I'm fine. You fine? Yeah. And I'm like, I can't tell if my buddies are just trying to act tough or if it's really just fine. Eat another one, totally fine. So we've had about probably eight or ten of them been eaten. And there's still a few on the, on the plate. So we're like, okay, if this math is right, one in ten, one to twenty somewhere, maybe we're going to get one. And uh, I'm still thinking it's not going to be me. And even if it is me, you know, I've been working out this. I'll be fine. It's not that hot. So I ate about half of one. And all of a sudden my lips start to tingle a little bit. And I was like, guys, maybe Charlie's, maybe some of these are hot, you know. And then all of a sudden I'm in a booth and I have two friends sitting next to me. My wife's next to me, another person. And I, my body, I just start sweating. And I'm like, okay, yeah, these, this is real. And the heat, it just gets hotter and hotter and hotter to the point where now I just start hiccuping uncontrollably. I'm like, I don't know if you've ever had that. It's the first time I've ever had that with spicy food. So I, stay, I have to get out and I'm, I'm pacing in front of our booth. And, and the waitress walks out and she goes, oh, you got the hot one, didn't you? Yeah. Like, yeah, what, like, what are you going to do to help me? And she goes, oh, yeah, we have like a shot glass of milk back here. You can have that. I don't care what it is. I'm just dumping this in. Like, help me. It is so hot. So, so I was joking with my buddies. I was like, I really experienced the shishito pepper. You all just had the easy ones. You know, like the, and I, the other half of it, my, I, I convinced my brother to eat it. He was there. And the other half, he was like, it was completely fine. So thankfully they said it has to do with the seeds. So either that or I'm just really, really weak with spicy food. But I, I, was, I struggled through that. So, so I had the full experience. They just got a little piece of it. And right now we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. It's been awesome. What a great journey to go story by story, section by section. And chapter 8 in Mark is important to look at the whole context. We're going to talk about just a few verses and one story of a blind man being healed. But I really believe the context of Mark 8 is a huge and significant part. And it focuses on this idea of just partially seeing, maybe partially experiencing something, and then stepping into a full understanding. All right, so I want to read this story for you guys. This is Mark 8, 22 through 26. It will be on the screen if you want to follow along. It says, when they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. And they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? 
The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. All right, so here's an amazing story here of a blind man being healed. And we see this happen quite often in Jesus' ministry where he tells people, hey, hey, don't let anybody know what happened. Don't go talk about it. And then they can't help it and they go tell everybody, right? That's typically what happens. But there's a couple things that stand out in this story, all right? Maybe some things that are a little bit different from what we're used to hearing in stories of miracles, stories of healing. The first one that I noticed right away is how Jesus chooses to heal this man by spitting in his face. I don't really know, that doesn't seem like great social etiquette to me, but I guess if you're healing somebody, it's fine. So he spits on his face. That's really unique, but it's actually not the only time this happens in the scriptures. We're going to talk about another story in John where he heals another blind man by spitting. A little different way, he spits on the ground that time. This time straight in the face. But also there's another time he spits and heals the guy's ears. So, so Jesus has actually used the tactic of his own saliva to heal on other occasions. So unique, but not the only time. But there is one part of the story that stands out, and it's the only time that we see this type of healing in all of Scripture. And then it's all, and the Gospel of Mark is the only gospel of the four gospels that records this particular story. And what stands out that's so unique in this story is that the healing is not instantaneous. The healing doesn't happen right away. And I think there's a lot of mystery around that of what is this about? What's happening here? What I do know it to be true when I look at the life of Jesus, I don't think this was just a power outage moment for Jesus. I don't think that he accidentally only healed him a little bit. Hey, can you see? Oh, and I can kind of see, but people look different than I thought. They just look like trees. That's not what I thought, you know. And then Jesus, oh, I'm going to try it again. I don't think that's the case. I mean, this Jesus was healing people with a touch, with a word. He was healing people who weren't even with him when they were still in their home. People were touching the hem of his garments and being healed. I mean, he was feeding the 5,000 with just a little bit of bread and some fish. I mean, this Jesus had unbelievable power. I believe fully he could have healed this man. And so I want to look at this of saying it's a great story of physical healing. But I also believe, and in the context of this chapter, it's also teaching a greater message. And so I think the theme of what we're looking at here in Mark 8 is this first point here, is partial to full sight. Going from partial to full sight, where you can just see a little bit of it, only experience a little bit of it, but then having Jesus be the one to open eyes, to restore, to see things completely and see things fully. We're going to see this in this account. If you remember last, last week, if you got to hear the message, Pastor Derry did an awesome job talking to the first 21 verses of Mark 8. And we saw in that the beginning of this, this confusion and even you could say the, the frustration of Jesus because the Pharisees, the disciples, the people just didn't fully get it. The Pharisees, they were focused on the law. They knew all of the right things, but they were missing Jesus right in front of them. The disciples had experienced miracle after miracle after miracle and the work of God, but yet they still didn't have a full understanding of who Jesus was. And so I think this healing, there's a part of this too. There's this partial healing. The man is partially healed, but Jesus is doing it this way to teach a greater lesson too of helping us understand not just that he came to bring physical sight, but also that he came to bring spiritual sight and to heal people from spiritual blindness. But when you look at a story like this, there's, there's certainly a bit of mystery. There's certainly a bit of mystery. Why did Jesus do it this way? 
And we look at the life of Jesus, he was so intentional in how he lived and how he acted. And so I think we can really look at the context and say, okay, he's teaching a greater message, but maybe there's other things we don't fully understand. And I think within, one, within this, I would say, I know for me, just the idea of the miraculous healing power of God is something that I don't always fully grasp. I'm sure many of you have spent time praying, praying for people, praying maybe for yourself, praying for people you know, for physical healing, for healing from sickness, for whatever that healing might be. And we've heard stories and we see stories where, or maybe you've experienced this, where people are healed in the moment, instantaneously healed. We see that all through the scripture. Other times it's gradual. That it takes time, but ultimately God brings about this healing. But then there's the reality that sometimes we pray and it doesn't happen. It doesn't go the way that we thought it would. We, they're not healed. Or maybe it's somebody that we really think deserves to be healed. The way they live their life. They're a great person. And they're not. But then this person over here just seems like they really don't have it going together. And they get healed. Like, how does this happen? How, what we, you know, I don't know all of the inner workings of how God decides to do that. But what I do think we can see as when we look at the Gospels, what's clear is that we serve a God. We know a God who has the power to heal. That Jesus healed. And so I want to encourage all of us again. We may be praying for something. Maybe it's been a long time you've been praying, asking God for a healing, wanting to see God more. It hasn't happened the way you thought it would. May we not pray based upon our circumstance. May we not pray based upon what makes sense in the natural and what we can see. But instead, we would be people that are focused upon who Jesus is. And when we read stories like this, this is a blind man who has never seen. And just with the touch, Jesus restores his sight. And so I want to encourage you to be people that, instead that we would, the second point is that we would not limit God. Don't ever limit God. That we wouldn't put him in a box. I think this story shows that, is that Jesus is not confined to a certain pattern. There's no certain formula for him to heal or for him to move and to work. He does things the way that he wants to in his timing. May we not ever limit God. Because we know this, that he cares for physical needs and also for our spiritual needs. And so I want to focus on another part of the story that I think stands out as well. And this is the part where we have this blind man and all the people bring Jesus to him. And Jesus, the first thing he actually does is he grabs him by the hand and he leads him out of the city. And I just think that's so powerful. One of my very favorite things to do when I read the scripture, it helps me, you know, relate to it, be excited about it, make it real is to try to put myself in the shoes of, if, what if I was there that day in Bethsaida? What if I was one of the disciples? And here they have a blind man. I mean, they've experienced so many amazing miracles by this guy, Jesus. That's why they're following him. And now a blind man is here, and Jesus has him by the hand. I'm sure they were following just thinking, we're about to see something amazing. This is going to be epic. You know. This guy can't see now. We know Jesus. We, he's healed people before. We're going to see something awesome. So there's probably this anticipation. But I also think it's such a cool picture of who Jesus is, of who Jesus really is to us as a guide, as one who brings freedom for the captives. The reason that Jesus came is he is leading this blind man out. He didn't ask the disciples to do it. He didn't ask some bystander to just do it. But he was willing to walk slowly and lead this man who was born blind out of the village because he's going to take him to this place where this miracle will happen, where he will restore his sight. And so in this physical sense, it's beautiful. But I think it shows such an amazing picture of who Jesus is to us. That Jesus came so that we could truly see. That we could see clearly. That we could have a purpose. That we could have a reason for living. That we could have hope. 
that in his name we can have salvation, that he is the one who makes the way. He's a miracle worker. He makes a way where there is no way, and he doesn't just leave us where we are, but he takes us into the place where we can be set free. And so that's what happens in this physical sense for this man. And it's the same invitation. That Jesus came as the light of the world so that we could see by putting our faith and trust in him. It's our job to follow his path. We live in Colorado. This is a state full of amazing hiking trails, amazing bike trails, amazing place where you can just go out and enjoy nature. I love getting to do that. I really enjoy hiking and just seeing God's beauty. And this summer, got to do kind of a bucket list type of a hike and uh, went with my brothers and a friend of ours, and we went and hiked through the Grand Canyon in Arizona. And I hadn't been there before, or I had when I was really little, didn't remember it. So this was a new experience for me. And we wanted to take on just a hard challenge, and, and so something we had to work for. So we hiked from the North Rim through to the South Rim all in one shot. So it's 24.6 miles to go all the way through. And this trail is incredible. It's so, so beautiful. I have a picture here. This is from the South Rim of the Grand Canyon. So this is a side where a lot of people go and visit, millions of visitors every year. And you can see just how vast this canyon is. I'm sure many of you guys have been able to see this in person. If you look really closely in the middle of the valley, there's this little path the trail, and it goes all the way to the other side, to the north rim, 24.6 miles of a trail. And as you go through it, I mean, it goes right along the river, through the inner canyon. There's another photo I'll show you of what it looks like as you walk through it. So you go down, they build, I mean, it's incredible how they build this. They build the trail into the canyon wall, just switch back after switch back. Then you get to the bottom, walk all the way across it. A lot of stuff like this, you're seeing the canyon. Then you come out the top, walk across bridges. There's, you're kind of covering the river as you go around. So, I mean, it's amazing. And we had to start this, it took a long time, so we had to start this at, at, at night where it's still dark out, just have a headlamp. So you couldn't see really where you're going, but what you had to know was all you had to do was take the next step on the trail, right? We knew we were on the right trail, and this trail is built out for us. It's going to take us all the way through from this point to the, our destination where we're trying to go. I've never been here. Without this trail, there's no chance I'm making it from this point to the other point, right? I mean, it's, there's steep parts. you got to get past the river. There's going to be different obstacles. You might think I should go this way, but really, no, it needs to be this way. I mean, but the reality is, and you know this, you've been on hikes, if you just stay on the trail, it's going to get you where you need to go, right? The, the trail has been paved, and this is an amazing path. And so it's awesome just to walk that, just, hey, we take one step at a time, one step at a time, continue to follow the trail. It's going to take us where we want us to go. And that really, I think, is, is such an amazing picture of who Jesus is for us. Because we don't always have the end story. We can't always see the end of it all. We know ultimately the end of it is that if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that one day we're going to get to be with him in eternity with him. and There will be no more, no more tears or pain or suffering. But as we're here on earth, we don't really necessarily know what everything is that's coming in front of us. But what is there is we can trust that he's our God. We can trust that if I just stay on the path and the trail that Christ has for me, that he's going to illuminate the path. I love how it says this in Psalm 48, 14. It says, for this God is our God. Forever and ever, he will be our guide even to the end. He's the God who makes a way. Even when we can't see it, if we just stay on the path and let him illuminate it, we will go where he wants us to go. John 8, 12. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a statement. I love this. I am the light of the world. That if we stand his path and we follow him, it's in him that we see clearly. 
This idea of going from partial sight to full sight. It's when we keep our attention focused on Christ that we see clearly. We see how to live. We see what it looks like, how we can talk, how we can have an attitude that looks like Jesus. How can we live for the things that he cares about in the middle of a very distracted world that wants us to look at other things. If we stay focused on him, he's going to lead us. If you've done any hiking, you know one of the most important things is to stay on the trail. Right? And there's times that you can see the destination and it's a little ways away. And it seems like you have a straight shot if you go this way. But the trail's taking you around this way. And I know sometimes I'm, I'm a competitive person. I think, oh, I'm going to take that, you know. But usually if you get off the trail, you're going to come to a point where you realize why the trail went this way first, right. There's usually a reason. There's usually a reason. We stay on the trail. And I think in our lives that can happen often where we think, you know what, I feel like I have a better path and a better plan for my life than it seems like God's taking me on. And I don't want to surrender to his will and to his way because I want to be in control. It's easy for us to have that mindset, but we don't see the whole picture. We don't have this full reality. And so I want to encourage us to say, let's be people that stay on the path. Psalm 18:28 makes this personal. It says, you, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. That I was a person. The Bible speaks of this, that I was a person before Christ living in spiritual darkness. That was without God, without hope separated from him and condemned in my sins. But because I have, if you've done this too, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it says, in him you can have hope. In him we can truly see. He is the one that has made the way. And so this is our third point today, that only Jesus can restore my sight. Only Jesus. He's the only one that can show me which path to take. And I mentioned this other story of Jesus spitting. We're going to do some spitting healing today, all right? So let's go to John chapter 9. I want to read a story to you when Jesus tries the same tactic on another man who had been blind from birth. Verse 1 says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's a really interesting question. It also shows a lot of the context of how the people in this day viewed this man who was blind. Is that many of the people, they viewed it as a curse, And they assumed it was because he sinned or because of the sin of his parents. And so this man was cursed. And so because a blind man was cursed, they were looked down upon, not valued as highly in the society. So they're asking Jesus, how did this happen? Whose fault is this? And his response is amazing. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Amen, right? We see that again. I am the light of the world. There's two statements in this text that I want to just really look at. The first one is that answer that Jesus has when they're saying, hey, who sinned, this man or his parents? Why is he cursed? It doesn't seem like his life is as important or whatever. And Jesus says, no, it's not about that. He says, actually, this happened so the work of God would be displayed in his life. What an amazing, amazing statement that shows the way that God puts infinite value in each and every person. Right? Here's a person who has this difficult infirmity that they're dealing with. And God is saying, no, it's not about this mistake. It's not that they're cursed. No, this person has so much value. This happened so the work of God could be seen. And just wait about what God's about to do here. And then he says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I have come, not just for people that physically can't see, to restore their sight, but I have come to bring restoration of sight to a world that's in darkness and in need of a savior. And so the story continues. And as I said, what Jesus does is he spits on the ground. 
pretty interesting. It's really weird to watch that. He's about to heal this guy, and he starts spitting a loogie on the ground. I don't know what that's about. All right, it's like he's at a baseball game, okay? So then he, so he spits it down. Then he grabs the mud, rubs it around in his hands, and puts it on the guy's eyes. And he tells the guy, he says, if you would walk down to this pool, wash your face, then you're going to come back seeing. So the man goes to the pool, walks down there, puts the water on his face, washes his face, and now he can see. Completely can see. All the people are in total shock. This man has been blind from birth. He's never seen. And now he's running around describing all the stuff that he's seeing, celebrating. All the people are in shock. They're in awe. And we have these Pharisees. Right? We've been looking through this through the book of Mark where the Pharisees are constantly in opposition to Jesus. And they're trying to discount who Jesus is and what he's done. They don't believe that he's the son of God. And in fact, they're, they're saying he's a sinner, so he can't be the one. And so they're saying, there's no way this happened. They question this man. And he's saying, it was Jesus. He healed me. So they say, okay, this can't be true. They call in his parents. Hey, is, was, is this your son? They say, yeah. Was he really blind? And Yeah, well, he's never, ever been able to see since birth. What happened now? They're like, they were afraid of the religious leaders. So they say, we don't, we don't know. We just know he can see now. I don't know how it happened. You have to ask him. So these religious leaders, they call the blind man in again. Now he can see. He comes back in and they're saying, how did this happen? How did this happen? This guy's a sinner. Jesus is a sinner. How could this happen? And look at his response in verse 25. This is the man. He said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. How awesome is that? What a statement. He's like, I don't really know all this investigation you're doing. This is what I know is I used to not be able to see, and now I can. And the only difference is this guy, Jesus. This guy touched me in a way that nobody else ever has completely and totally changed my life. And what's so beautiful about this is that this was a statement for a man who was physically blind. But it's the exact same statement that you and I can make if you've made the decision to follow Jesus and make him the Lord of your life. That it was this, I once was blind, but now I can see. Before Christ, I was living in sin. Before Christ, I was condemned. Before Christ, I was living with the shame and the guilt of my past mistakes. Before Christ, I was hopeless. Before Christ, I didn't really have a reason to live or a, any expectation for the future. But after knowing and understanding who Christ is, I once was in spiritual blindness, and now I can see. Isn't that amazing? What a hopeful message. And if you're a person that's here today and you haven't made that commitment to following after Jesus, I want to invite you to do that. This is an amazing day to do that. To take a step and to say, God, I believe that you are the Savior. You are the Lord of my life. It's really this, this, this prayer, which is our fourth point today, which is open my eyes. I think that's just the prayer from this text here in Mark chapter 4. What we saw is that all of this, there's confusion of who Jesus really is and what's so great. And we'll see this in greater detail next weekend. So come back for this. But what happens right after this healing is then Peter, one of the apostles, makes this declaration. Jesus says, who do you guys say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The disciples were starting to move from this partial understanding of who he was to a greater reality of who Jesus really is and who he is for them. And so as we finish today, I just want us to consider, could there be some areas in my life of spiritual blindness? Maybe like these Pharisees, they, were, they knew a lot of things. They could have taught you everything you needed to know about the law. They had read about the prophets who were pointing to Jesus, this Messiah, but when he was here in the flesh, they were totally missing it. 
They were really more concerned about following these laws to a T. And they were, in a sense, they were trying to earn their way. They were trying to be good enough. And I think, unfortunately, we can fall into that same trap. We forget the goodness of God, the grace of God. And we think, I have to perform a certain way. I have to act a certain way before I come to God. But God has come and he's, he, that's this partial view, this, this reality, the full sight. is saying, no, it's not about what you've done. It's the grace of God at work in your life. And maybe, maybe for some of us when, you know, we could say these things, I want to follow Jesus and surrender to his way. Honestly, it's those things that are easy to preach but hard to live. Because when things get difficult, what do I really turn to? That really shows what my faith is really in. When it gets hard, do I, do I go to God? Do I look at him? Do I trust that the path I'm on in following Christ is the best path for my life because he has me? Or do I try to take over and try to control things and try to strategize in my own strength? And we be people that keep our eyes focused on Christ. And when I finish by reading this verse from Ephesians, it's really a prayer. It's Ephesians 1.17. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now we know this, we can look back and what we see in scriptures is that Jesus is the son of God. That he came and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for my sins and for yours. But the story didn't finish there. He rose again. And this in him I can have true sight. I can see what really lasts. And so God, we want to be people that know you better. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. God, we want to see you more clearly. We want to see the path that you've called for us. We want to take that journey and go with you. And Lord, we, do, we just want to think today, I think today also of the people maybe in our lives that are living, as the Bible would say, spirit, in spiritual blindness. That haven't made a commitment to following Jesus. That haven't had this full reality of this true sight, this restoration of hope to know that Jesus is their Savior. So maybe there's somebody in your life that's, that you know that, that doesn't know Jesus. Or that's a prodigal that at one point did and has run away. I just want to encourage you. We're going to sing a song right now. And as we sing this, I want to just encourage you to pray over those people. Those family members, those friends, those co-workers, people in your life that you know. Hey, maybe, you, maybe God's placed me in this position to be a light to them. Let's just pray that God would just, there would be a revival, that eyes would be open to the truth of the gospel. So if you're able, I would love for you to stand with me. We're going to sing the song, and as we sing this, let's pray that God would open their eyes. And when before the throne I stand in Him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. Oh, to
Yes, Lord, we just join together. We pray for those that, that are far from you, God. We want to see you move in a powerful way. God, we pray for revival in our city, revival in our families, revival in the places that you put us. May we be a church that's a light to the world and helps people to see you for who you really are. So we ask that you would move and work in our lives, in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here with us. We have a prayer team at the front. If you would like more prayer, we hope that you have an awesome week. God bless.